Welcome or welcome back to The Bicultural Identity, a podcast created from the experiences unique to young Asians raised in a Western society. We're your hosts, Connie and Jenny. Our weekly episodes contain conversations around social issues, pop culture topics, and nostalgic childhood memories that are significant in our lives as second-gen Canadians. I couldn't do that in one breath today. (laughs) Before we get started, we would love to thank Morning Summer for your review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate hearing back from all of you. Our first review! Thank you! Woo-woo! Lame celebration. With that, we'll move on to the typical format of Connie introducing this week's topic. So today we're going to be talking about a very relevant topic in the world today. Unfortunately, we're all dealing with social distancing right now and the whole pandemic going on. So yeah, we're talking about the COVID-19 situation today and how it has impacted the Asian community more specifically and the more negative outcomes in that like there's been a lot more racism directed towards the Chinese community and also the Asian community as a whole. I think this week's episode is going to be really largely focused on racism we're experiencing as a Chinese community. And I know we're typically an Asian and Western balance. So even though our sitcom episode was also focused on China, just know for the future, we'll be expanding it to other boundaries of Asia. But for this week, we really wanted to let our voices be heard as part of the Chinese community on this topic. Mm-hmm. We think it's really important. Just a brief introduction to the whole COVID-19 situation, even though I'm sure you're all aware of what's going on already. As of today, which is June 16, 2020, that's when we're recording, there have been over 8 million cases reported worldwide of COVID-19 and almost half a million deaths. In Canada alone, there's been around 100,000 cases. Although patient zero hasn't been confirmed yet, nor do people know exactly how um, the first person actually got infected. Some of the first few cases of COVID-19 reported have been traced back to a wet seafood market in Wuhan, China. So that is believed to be one of the origins of the disease, at least. Overall, there's just been a lot of information that's been spreading that's just completely wrong. And I think with the expansion of social media and just really, really fast and what even call it like free and open news sources, there's no way of confirming information anymore. And it took, I think, like three weeks even for us to really confirm exactly where this virus came from in China, because there was just so much information flooding the Mm -hmm. online sources. And with this, it's just like we said in our introduction, grossly increased the amount of racism or acceptable amount of open racism, let's say that, towards Chinese communities around the world. And of course, as a byproduct, this includes Asian communities as a whole, because there's also the lovely uh, racist aspect where people assume Asians are Chinese. And in general, like if you see an Asian person on the streets, typically it's difficult for someone to figure out what type of Asian you are. Whatever that means. <laughs> this episode is going to be pretty unique because I would say most of this is from extremely personal experiences. Unfortunately. Yeah. So for the most part of this episode, we'll just be listing out exactly what has happened to us since COVID has started. And I think this is an important episode because it shows that we should all be collectively anti-racist towards all races. That's your PSA. 
So I think I'll just start off with a little story. I guess it's not so much a story as much as it's something that constantly happened to me for the period of time where everyone was still at work, even though there was the virus starting to spread already. So basically, whether it be at work or on public transportation, I was unable to escape listening to conversations or overhearing conversations about where the COVID-19 virus started. And more specifically, it was always surrounding the topic of Chinese people eating bats. And oh, the virus came from bats. That's all I heard. I just would like to confirm right now that there's actually no proof that this virus came from bats. And if you, I know there's like a photo spreading around social media of like a bat soup or whatever. Fake that, news. That was actually, okay, not to quote <laughs> Donald Trump here, but that photo actually was not taken in China. It's been confirmed. So obviously some racists spreading photos and starting rumors on social media. Uh, but Sounds like the first time that's happened. <laughs> but even if it were, bat soup, which is occasionally eaten in China. I hate how people are disgusted by foods that are like exotic to them. It's just like very ignorant. But I'd also like to add that no, most Chinese people do not eat bats. Like I do not know a single one that eats bats. I feel like there has to be a certain level of tolerance for food you eat depending on your geographical range. Like people somehow don't seem to connect that China's a massive country and if I'm a farmer living in a mountainous region, of course I'm going to eat the protein that's available to me. Mm-hmm. Or back in the day, let's say um, like centuries ago, and I'm poor, I'm going to eat that food. And then that's how cuisine gets brought down. So Yeah, there's like such a large history behind every single food that a culture eats. And furthermore, there's just this notion out in the West that Chinese food is dirty in general. It's just like a racist attitude towards us. If you think about it, the swine flu came from pigs, which everyone eats. So to imply that eating bats is wrong just because it carries viruses or that it's dirtier. I mean, yeah, to us in the West, it seems more strange to eat bats. But why judge other cultures' cuisines when you can't understand it fully? Think about it. Chicken have salmonella and E. coli. Cows have mad cow disease. Everything has a risk with it. So it's only bad if it's Chinese. That's the lesson, kids. Connie's story does link to one of my actual stories, which is also an experience that I had just during COVID in China, but before it reached the outside countries. And this is when I was still at work, still hanging out with friends. And all around me, there would just be this crazy blaming game towards China and even now like um, if you talk with people around you if you talk about modern or current news and you're joking around people will be like oh you know China's not doing so great and all I can think about is hold up what does that mean China's doing better than all of us so uh sucks for us because they have Maybe they're on their like second wave now, I guess, officially, yeah, that's unfortunate. but with like one neighborhood. And if that's a second wave, freaking lit. But yeah, I just think that it's like grossly ignorant. And I've been sur- surrounded by ignorant speeches like this, where everyone's just sarcastic about China and constantly making fun of China for basically being a hot mess in their brains, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's so many conspiracies, too, where people are saying, oh, like, well, It probably is the case that they're under-reporting a bit. But in general, I personally have, like, 
a lot of relatives and family friends in China, and I know no one who has contracted the virus. So it does seem like China has a situation under control, whereas out here in the West, we like to make it seem like they're like covering up some mass amount of dead people in China. Conspiracy theories, yo. I think that just overall, there's just such a bad attitude towards everything China does, because rather than learning from what they've done as a good case practice, we only talk about what they did badly. So the badly was obvious, and we'll admit to uh, it on behalf of China, even though we're not from China. Yeah, we're Canadian. We'll admit that there were some like it was not handled properly at the very beginning. Um, because nobody wanted to admit that this could be a crazy pandemic, and we're not here to comment about the Chinese government at all. Like no, that's we're not, not what our podcast、politics. is. You know, sometimes maybe we'll make fun of Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, for the future, but it's only for fun and games. Like we're not crazy like politics people. No, so. Definitely- Not that there's anything wrong with that, but anyway, yeah. So like we will admit they had a slow reaction time, but the reality of China is, and you have to know this if you never considered it, whenever a community had contracted coronavirus or COVID nineteen, everyone who was at risk tested positive or was exposed to someone who tested positive was put in their apartments. Their doors were. Put like the, a piece of paper was stuck on their door crack, so if it opened, the paper would break, and then that. Apartment、mm-hmm. would say this person is currently under quarantine, and then in return, the rest of the community got together, delivered their food every day, threw out their trash every day, and it was just like a really great system, so that if there was a spread, it start stopped right there. So it's like even the second wave right now, they're doing the exact same thing. The whole neighborhood's under lockdown, and everyone's coming in again to cook food every day and to take out trash every day and just help these people、mm-hmm. do what they can't do with their daily lives. Yeah, and we can't even not go to the park. No one, okay, not no one, but like so many people aren't respecting social distancing. Like, what do you even call it? Recommendations. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's weird because. Being in Canada, Toronto and Montreal are our biggest cities, which means they're most at risk. But I personally know people who have had twenty plus people gatherings. I know people who have had birthday parties in their backyard. Like I get that there's a lot of negativity, but I think if you want to handle the virus the way we are in, like in the West, then what right do we have to criticize the way they handled it in the East? Exactly. That's a long tangent. Just the whole. Anti-China narrative that Jenny mentioned—you can clearly see it on social media as well. Oh my goodness, it's so frustrating for me sometimes because I do understand there's many problems with governments, but there is an issue with associating Chinese people with their government and just bashing China as a whole. Yeah,、and、you can have the political opinions you want to have. Yeah, but how can you hold it against a billion people? Legit, it just baffles me. And one thing that I noticed from the very start of this whole crisis, China was going through so much when this virus started. Just like so many people were dying, right? In normal cases, any sort of tragedy like that, there would be hashtags on Twitter trending like "pray for whatever country" or whatever. In this case, there was never a single trend. Supporting the people of China and what they were going through, but there were trends of like hashtag coronavirus, and if you clicked on it, all I saw would be tweets laughing at the situation or commenting about politics, and it was just super unnecessary. It's really hurtful because I've experienced the same thing, and I like I recently like Connie and I discovered TikTok, and I like I freaking love that platform, but I can't. 
like every time I scroll 20 videos, some video will come up where the comments are flooded with sarcastic comments about the Chinese or a video will come up of someone saying they're being held hostage by China. That's not really funny because it's just completely offensive to an entire country of people, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I... There's a lot of political philosophies that are involved in this, and I don't think we have the right to criticize so strongly on or have such a negative influence, but I won't blame anyone in the West because it's just the way we're taught. Like before this, we were all anti-Russia or anti-whatever came before that. Um, And just as a joke to lighten things up, I know that uh, China was delayed in their reaction, but Donald Trump did tell us to eat Lysol wipes. So... (laughs) We're really working with uh, similar, similar things here. So, yeah, I agree with the social media point. I just don't understand why there's always like constantly accepted negativity and blatant racism towards China. People who even condemn racism think it's okay to be racist to Chinese people. That's actually really true because so for like a reality check here, Connie and I were born in Canada. So we are ethnically Chinese Canadians, but in no way is our like upbringing super, you know, China, China, like in China. I'd say we're 100% Canadian. Yeah. Other than our like family influences. Mm -hmm. And it was only with like the few times I went to China and especially last year I went to China that I really fell in love with the country and like the way the people work. So Maybe you should criticize it after you go visit, which you won't because you're scared of them. And like bringing it back to how Connie said it's accepted to just be racist towards China. I think it's really or towards Chinese people. I think it's really true because I can't imagine myself being allowed to cancel someone for something they say about China. I feel like people would just say that's a very invalid reason. Uh And then meanwhile, we just had a Black Lives Matter movement discussion. So just know I am completely on the side of this. But if someone were to wear dreadlocks, they would easily be called out for their misbehavior. But then when someone makes a COVID joke, ha 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 ha, it's funny. <sighs> it's not funny when people die, guys. And actually, elaborating on that, it boils down to also Asians in general and how we are considered like the model minority or whatever. Because of that, people tend to brush off racism towards Asians and like not really care about as much because they think that you know Asians tend to like fare pretty well in western society like they study hard and get good jobs but that doesn't mean that we aren't subject to discrimination as well sometimes our discrimination might be more you know subtle or like not as dangerous uh, as the discrimination black people or like muslim people experience but we can still get hurt by like words or like hate crimes That's true. I think that leads into a Mm -hmm. segment. This is about like our truly, truly personal experiences and not just what we've been witnessing and been hurt by, by association. Um, So the first story that we have that I'll share is that our family, like all together, our mom, dad, Connie and I will go for walks like almost every night in the park nearby where we live. Pretty much all you can do during quarantine right now. Yeah. And we keep to the physical distancing rules, but the first time we went out for a walk when quarantine really started to be a thing, we walked by this man who was blocking his mouth, like his hand was on the side on his cheek and he was blocking his mouth and nose away from us. And we thought, oh, it's like COVID. He's probably just like a little bit nervous because it's just starting off. You don't really know if two meters is really enough. So as he walked past us, like we kind of just walked by each other. Mm -hmm. 
he was just blocking the direction of the like wind coming <laughs> from us or something. And we were laughing at first. Like we actually like low-key made fun of him later on, like um like five meters away. We were just like blocking our mouths too. But then we turned around and looked at him again and it wasn't funny anymore because he passed by like five other groups by then and none of them were Asian and he didn't have to block his mouth anymore. So, so apparently Asians are viruses. Yes. And it's all acceptable now. Escalating from that story Jenny just told, Jenny actually wasn't there to experience this because she didn't go out for a walk with me that day. But basically, me and my mom went out for a walk one night and it was like a beautiful summer evening, okay? We were in a good mood and we were just chatting away. This man was biking towards us and we were keeping our physical distancing rules. And somehow, right as he passed us, Okay, there's swear words involved in this, so I will bleep myself out. But I quote, he screamed at us, move away, you f***ing chicks. I was just shocked. I just stood there and I did try to like scream after him after that, but he was a coward. So obviously he only said that when he was biking away, you know, so he doesn't have to confront me. That was like such an unfortunate experience. And it was also really terrible that I had to explain to my mom what he said. It's really reflective because... To be clear, we live in a very, very nice neighborhood in our city. People here have always been very polite. Like the kind of neighborhood, you know, um, the TikTok jokes where when you're on a walk, all the white people say hi to you and you're just like, (laughs) hello, good evening, good day. And then suddenly it was a complete 180 on what was happening. And still, like, I feel like people around wouldn't even say anything. Okay, so there was like... A couple walking kind of ahead of us. Oh, was there? Yeah, I don't know if they heard, though, but they didn't react. So this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but but because of what Jenny said, we live in a really, like, good neighborhood, and this has never happened to me in my life. These days, sometimes, when I'm passing by certain, like, people that... Okay, certain white men, and sometimes they, like, look my way a bit, my heart speeds up a bit because I kind of expect something to happen. Like, oh my god, is he gonna call me out again? Like, is he gonna scream something racist at me or, like, worse, hurt me? Before, when I was at university in a small town, there was one hate crime that happened before where a few locals had completely, like, beat up and mutilated an Asian guy in our community. And um, back then, I didn't feel super concerned for my own safety because we were still in a student community and it seemed like you know one an, one-off thing with a special someone who just like was a little bit um loose in the head if I can see it that way but recently like now that COVID started in Montreal there was the story of the Asian man being killed for wearing a face mask because somehow that's offensive to people and since that story has been coming out and since Connie and I have been experiencing these small acts of racism it's not a lie that when I'm in, like, when our family is in a more empty place, like if we're hiking or something, or if we're out on a street where there's hardly any people, and I pass by um, some people who aren't Asian, which <laughs> sounds terrible, I actually get a little bit scared now of hate crimes just because I'm Chinese. Okay, so it's not just me. At no, first I was it's like, I don't like drawing metaphors because I don't want to make it less serious than it is. Right now, the way it feels to be in a situation alone with someone who has enough power to hurt you and to be Chinese, it's made me empathize more than anything with how Black people would feel around police. I was just going to say the same thing. Or like Muslim people felt after 9-11. 
it's just not a good feeling to know that they have the perfect excuse to treat you very, very terribly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, though, our situation is still a lot better than those communities. But yeah. it's yeah, it's made me empathize with them a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what they go through. I think that coming off of that on how our situation is better, I really hope that in the future after COVID, and this is a big, big hope, but I hope that people will realize the racism the Chinese community globally has been experienced so we can gather some allies. Because I think there's a general mentality that the Chinese are so like populated and large. And on average, like Connie was saying, in, in the community, we do well in terms of education and everything. Yeah. There's the mentality that you would have towards your independent friend, you know, who's like, they can handle themselves. Mm-hmm. They got this. And those are often the worst expectations you can have for an independent friend. Like sometimes they're the ones who need help yeah, at that is, moment. This is the model minority myth I was talking about. Yeah. They think we're like well off and doing all right. Mm-hmm. And there's also the issue where like a lot of people from like black communities or like communities that are treated more poorly than Asians. They don't like the idea of people of color solidarity because I do admit, we already admitted this actually in our Black Lives Matter episode, but the Asian community is not the nicest towards people of other races and we need to be better in that part as well to like gain allies from other races yeah i wish we would all just unite uh-huh it's difficult but hopefully it'll happen in the future praying for world peace yep the general <laughs> message around um what i was just mentioning about um being like the independent population that people think are doing all right i also think it comes with and this is my very um it could be seen as an Asian metaphor because it can be seen as we're the child that performs better on things mm-hmm. and that everyone else is kind of the parents with the high expectations. <laughs> so our families sound like this. Once again, disclaimer, like there's a lot of Asian stereotypes that Connie and I just don't relate to. I think it's because we were raised purely in Canada and our parents are like, they've been in Canada longer than a lot of my friends' Asian parents. And they're just like fair whoa (laughs) they're just fair people you know there's no weird confucius things and everything that goes on there yeah we're lucky yeah so leading to that is if the chinese population is that overachieving sibling that all the parents will have very high expectations for my little thought of covid especially at the beginning was that it was so frustrating because in china when they were locking down all the cities and trying to make up for the terrible mistake that they made and they did make a mistake everyone was criticizing them for not acting soon enough but on the other side when we were in north america at this time if there were chinese people walking around with a face mask people were then criticizing them for overreacting so it was like what do you want from our people because we are let's just say in toronto there's a very chinese community called like markham richmond area (laughs) and if i'm there i know people are coming back from china constantly and traveling so if i'm wearing a face mask i'm not only protecting myself but i'm trying to prevent the spread actually face masks are more effective in preventing spread than protecting yourself exactly so if on one end the country of china made a mistake but on the other end the chinese ethnically chinese are trying to compensate for that mistake and we're being criticized on both ends what are we supposed to do it's just like a fallacy i i think it's just so much based on um a western like every country needs an ally country countries and 
enemy countries to create like nationality and pride right and there's nothing wrong with that like that's how everything works that's how sports teams works yeah that's how boy bands work <laughs> you know you need that enemy country and apart from trade all the weird politics stuff that go into it fine that's cool but why did we have to make a pandemic political that is my biggest problem with this as well People are dying and everyone's being like, oh, it's okay if it's the Chinese dying. What the yeah, heck, bro? Like they, they act like everyone in China seems to love torturing humans and they don't even care the slightest about human rights or something. It's the sad truth. It really boils down to what we said in the Black Lives Matter episode, that human beings are really more similar than we think, although our races might differ. And if a group of people are literally dying, you should feel some compassion please word <laughs> that's so old-fashioned of me who says that anymore Yo, what the heck i'm embarrassed to be on this podcast with you <laughs> on the other side previously addressed so many minutes ago i don't know we're still recording but connie did mention that obviously the asian community and the chinese community are not the best role models for anti-racist activities and we all admit to that i wanted to say that the reverse is true about making the pandemic political and share the common sentiments of China towards the Western society right now, because I think it's an important tidbit to learn that we don't hear very often in the West, because like it or not, there's still the perception of the American dream or the North American dream uh -huh. um, of, oh, everyone must really love to come here. Like just the other day, I don't know if you know, but on Canadian morning uh, talk shows they'll occasionally like show this random person going to their citizenship ceremony and it's like a really emotional thing and it's great because they're obviously extremely happy to immigrate to Canada and become a, a citizen but I think it's like such a funny tidbit of like national pride this morning at 8 a.m you know oh my god <laughs> um, but it's kind of a reality check to know that it's not true so Connie can also explain this too. But right now in China, us Westerners are not exactly their favorite people. Uh, we for sure aren't. We can't travel there at all right now, which is fair because the pandemic is obviously still going full force and things are dangerous right now. Here's how they probably see it. So in one case at work before COVID came to North America, there was an article re released that we will link to where they mapped out the mathematical aspect of covid and how what it means to flatten the curve mm -hmm. and they actually used china as a good case practice for that and how they dealt with wuhan and at that time everyone at work was saying isn't it funny how china is trying to buy us so much time for covid and they're trying to restrict their internal travel so it restricts the external travel yep. spread and after all that time we're probably still not ready to handle this virus and that's exactly what happened when the virus got to like I, what were the first places it spread like to like italy? italy and um like iran right yeah, that's who like that's that. how it spread to canada too when that happened it was like all hell broke loose yeah and still i feel like we still didn't act fast enough then. And it's funny because I was like caught up in this mindset too. I remember like two weeks or one week before quarantine started, I was at Costco with my dad and he's like, okay, we should probably start stocking up on foods. Just because like my parents sometimes like read Chinese news too and like they know how serious it was in China. And I kind of just laughed at him. I was like, what? Why would we need to stock up on foods? Like we're not going to be stuck inside our homes. 
jokes on me. But we did it before they emptied out. So <laughs> that's great. And bringing it back to the original uh, point about flattening the curve and us not being ready, there's the anti-Western sentiment that's really fostering in China too, which is so unhealthy for the two two sides of like trade deals and politics because to them, we're the people that are about to bring the second wave in. You know, they've completely closed down their borders. <laughs> and if you have to go for business, you're being quarantined for 14 days. A month ago, even when they were traveling between cities in China, they were being quarantined for 14 days if they were doing like mass events and everything. Mm-hmm. TV shows were all virtual. Yeah. It was crazy. They've been doing so much to be cautious. And then in return, I think when they were at their peak, they got almost no help from from yeah. us which sucks um and in return when it happened to us we got almost no help and it's just a very unhealthy way to like can you imagine daily life just being like oh you're burning that's cool and then oh i'm burning and you're not helping me but that's cool i think that's also what makes being like bicultural such a unique and frustrating experience sometimes and i think a lot of you can relate even if you're not chinese canadian or chinese american even if you were something like you know, Russian, American or whatever. But just when the two countries that you're related to are like not getting along whatsoever, I feel like an inner conflict, like I should choose a side or something. But honestly, there's benefits of both countries and I feel attached to both of them. I feel attached to Canada because it's where it's grown and brought up. And I'm attached to China because I feel a cultural connection there. So it's just... A really weird experience of living in this in, in like this skin where two parts of me are kind of like fighting each other almost it's like an identity crisis uh-huh. magnified by 10,000 and to every other country that's been an enemy to the western society we f- we relate to you more than ever what a time to be chinese in the 2010-20s yeah I found that due to this identity crisis, I've taken positions that I would have never taken in friendly debates with my friends before. Um, Because, like, obviously, like we said, we didn't grow up in China, so I don't have a super um, attached route there. And I just really fell in love with the country after visiting and learning about it with my family. But in recent, like, debates we've been having, I've just been the pro-Chinese voice in these debates because I feel like the Chinese voice is so underheard that I felt the need to take over that side of the conversation and to try and convey to the best of my understanding where the other side of our Western and China struggles are, you know? And I've never learned so much about China before. It's so funny. You did your research? I did, and it's crazy. So I see the Good and the bad in both. You're actually like braver than me then because um, sometimes I find myself in situations where people are debating topics like this, but I kind of feel even more awkward commenting as a Chinese person because I don't want to sound like I'm like all for their government or something. I think it's funny though because in more professional situations, I also won't feel comfortable doing that. Uh Even though um, I would say that even those professional situations are not fully, you know, I'm not on the job. For sure. Like everyone in the West is against a pro-China opinion. But Jenny, you mentioned in a previous episode that it really does help to read global news because news in every country is just so biased. Mm -hmm. Every country has their issues, some more than others. (laughs) Getting different points of view on one topic is like a great way to just empathize with 
every human in this world, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not like a news pro by all means, and I don't know how legitimate news sources are, but I read the uh, Indian Times and they were talking about news stories around the world that I've never even heard of. And then the South South China Morning Post, I don't know how legit they are either. I'm pretty sure they're pretty big, though. Um, they kind of talk about both sides of the story, which is so refreshing. Whoa. Like they'll have certain, for example, for Hong Kong protests, they'll kind of have stories commenting on both sides. That's cool. Which is cool. I want to read that. Yeah. But I think we've ranted enough today. Um, and honestly, like brainstorming for this episode even made me extremely angry because I just feel so hopeless. And that's my message. Ah, Don't we all? <laughs> we have really reached that point in adulthood where life just seems so tiring. <laughs> Bleak. Bleak future. No, I'm joking. I'm optimistic about almost everything in life. Everything else in life. But being Chinese really sucks right now, guys. Before we move on to our recommendations section, I'm going to give you a quick PSA on how to stay safe during the pandemic. Listen up, everyone. First and foremost, everyone still practice social distancing and stay at home unless absolutely you need to get out there. I'd say like walks are okay. Actually, they're recommended if you can maintain a good distance from one another just because you should get out and get some fresh air. When you go out also to like crowded places like grocery stores, wear your face masks, always wash your hands after going outside and touching public things. (laughs) As people do. (laughs) And what else is there? (laughs) I think overall coming from a young people perspective, um, I understand that if you're kind of living in a city and you're a young professional and you're not living with your family, It seems like you can kind of risk it all. And, you know, if I get COVID, I get COVID. But it's really important to remember what we were talking about back in March, where it's uh, where it's basically about if I expose myself to a friend who has COVID and then I go grocery shopping and the person who's at the cash who takes care of all my stuff that I've touched goes home and they have a grandparent you're still really not, um, you know, helping the cause. Yeah, here. don't be selfish, guys. Also, remember to take care of your mental health because I know quarantine will be hard on that if you already have some pre-existing issues. So be sure to surround yourself with people who can support you, whether it's like video chatting with someone or actually like you're around someone that you, you're living with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody should go to therapy. Yeah, and like if you have a therapist, Or if you have like them. the right benefits too, I guess. Yeah. Speaking from... A privilege standpoint, for sure. If you don't and you do have benefits from wherever you work, utilize therapy if you're feeling a little down because that's normal. Overall, going outside is fine. Just don't go to stupid, crowded places and be stupid. Just don't be stupid. And also remember to support local businesses, guys, and small businesses as well, because they are obviously struggling through this period of time. And if you can order takeout one night, Take advantage of that. It'll be a good experience for you, too. Mm-hmm. Everyone with steady incomes, we really are privileged at this time, like ex- exceptionally so. Mm-hmm. So, Jenny, now that the PSA is done, what is your recommendation of the week? Well, Connie, it <laughs> Why is... Why are we talking like this? It is something, gasp, Chinese. Well, couldn't guess that at all. Controversial. Very not on theme, Jenny. <laughs> this is on two themes, okay? We're getting into it. Not only is it on the Chinese COVID theme, it's on Pride Month theme. Happy Pride Month, everyone! Woo! <laughs> That's our mini celebration. <laughs> the recommendation I have is The Untamed. Woo! Thanks, Connie. It's a 2019 television series from China, and it's based on a web novel. And the plot twist is, this is based on a BL or a boy, boy love? 
Boy love or something Boy like love that. novel. Um, so the really interesting part of this TV show is that it is a fantasy uh, show where it's about, I don't even know what you call it. Like it's a typical fantasy genre for Chinese entertainment and like content. So they're kind of like almost martial arts, but they have like actual skills like swords work, but instruments that are powerful and yeah, it's called like wuxia or xianxia. Yeah. These genres. It's hard to explain exactly. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Go, go Google it. <laughs> but it's like if you've ever watched anime, that's the best way I can describe this show because it is 50 episodes. And there's actually an anime. True. Anime what? What's it called? Like version. <laughs> there's an anime show that was made. Um, and it's 50 episodes. So it never like in a typical anime fashion or I guess Chinese or Asian story, story format, it doesn't get boring for... 50 episodes because the plot changes continuously it's such a good plot i will say that i think it starts off a little slow just because it's one of those things that has like a thick plot so then it can be confusing at first when it's unclear what's really going on and there's so many characters i agree but stick with it so to summarize the story because we haven't it's about this guy called wei wuxian who is it's really just about his struggles throughout his life he starts off and the story as an orphan has been adopted by another clan of people and he just grows grows up around them and as he grows older and older um, he really starts to master his martial arts and then meet various various like extremely challenging situations along the way and you just see how he handles them and then on the other side his boy Lan Wangzi, you know, everyone's boy, <laughs> my guy. Um, no, I'm joking. He's like from a different clan who is very disciplined and he's just overall a very stoic man. They meet mm, very self regulated. Yeah. They meet and they have like various synergies that allow their friendship to continue and change into what it becomes later on in the story. Spoiler alert, it is a BL genre. But I don't want to go too far into it because we're going to make an entire special episode about this because there's so much to dig into. I will say it's one of my favorite dramas ever. Yeah. If you're looking for more LGBTQ plus content, this is definitely a good one to explore because unlike North America, and we'll talk about it more at the episode, but unlike North America, I don't think they overly sexualize it at all like it's just not and we'll explain why in the episode itself but if you want to watch um the 50 episodes before we talk about it catch up with us um but overall i think it was just a really great representation of love is love and Mm -hmm. from what i know like the middle-aged people who watch it they really did change their opinion on it in china the lgbtq plus community is not fully accepted in china yet but pieces of art like this really does help in the long run in changing more traditional people's mindsets. Mm-hmm. The Untamed, go watch it. It's on Netflix. Get ready to cry. <laughs> it's true. If you guys are weird about like gender definitions too, I really I'm, like just really stress that everyone should be able to watch this. Be open-minded, please. Connie, end us off. Before the official outro, I just want to thank you all for listening to what Jenny and I had to say about this topic because we know it can be kind of an uncomfortable topic and we don't want you to blame yourselves if you've had any of the perspectives that we were talking about because we that's what we are exposed to in the Western media and there's no fault in that. We just want to thank you for listening and hopefully taking away what we said and applying it to your future. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And now the official outro. <laughs> thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our discussion on this week's topic. 
To hear more, you can subscribe to The Bicultural Identity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're at it, we would also greatly appreciate any reviews on iTunes or simply sharing our podcast with your family and friends. But of course, no pressure. As well, any opinions and experiences discussed are solely based on our own experiences as second gens. And we invite you to share your thoughts on our blog, thebiculturalidentity.wordpress.com, where you can also find our individual episodes and supporting show notes. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. See you then!